Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson, and I'm Kathleen Shannon. I'm Mike Michalowicz, and I'm Being Boss. Today, we're talking about money management and putting profit first with Mike Michalowicz. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. All right, you guys, I want to put an end to any myth that money is evil, money is difficult, money is hard, I'm not an accountant, because FreshBooks Cloud Accounting has made it so easy for small business owners, freelancers, side hustlers to keep track of their expenses, to send out invoices, and to get paid faster. And honestly, that's all it comes down to. One of the things I personally love about FreshBooks is that they've designed it for creative entrepreneurs. Whenever you log into your dashboard, you can see exactly what your business is up to. You can see how much money you've got coming in and what you've got going out. You can easily pull reports to see what your profit and loss is. You guys, if you're not staying organized with your money, you're going to have bad feelings about money. So I want you to get organized with your money today. Try out FreshBooks for free. They're offering our listeners a 30-day unrestricted free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. All right, back to our episode. By his 35th birthday, Mike Michalowicz had founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies. Confident that he had the formula to success, he became an angel investor and proceeded to lose his entire fortune. Then he started all over again, driven to find better ways to grow healthy, strong companies. Among other innovative strategies, Mike created the Profit First formula, a way for businesses to ensure profitability from their very next deposit forward. I am personally a huge fan of his work, including his books, The Pumpkin Plan and Profit First, and think that creatives have a lot to learn from his simple way of thinking about how any sized business treats their money. Mike, we are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a joy to be here. So thank you for having me. All right. Starting off, could you just tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey that led you to making a bajillion dollars. Maybe a bajillion isn't right. I'd like to make a bajillion dollars. So, <laughs> Writing, no. becoming an author of a mm. few books. What have you, tell us where you got started and how, how that went down. So uh, I'll, I'll share the, the raw start and some of the raw elements and then the highlights you hear in a CV, which by the way, do you know what a CV stands for? Curriculum Vitae. Yeah, that exactly. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. That's what I thought it stood for. It mm. actually stands for. It doesn't. It stands for covers vomit. Because <laughs> what I found is is it's one piece of paper with a few bullet points, and the real story is disgusting, atrocious mess, and it's vomit basically. So I'll share some of the CV and then the real stuff. So um, graduate college can't get a job. So that's actually why I became an entrepreneur. Start my first business uh, was in computer networks, and um, really was successful in that business. And when I say successful, meaning it became a two million dollar company in revenue before I sold to private equity. Uh, if you define that success, I don't really know actually what success is, but in that regard, but I mean two million dollars, no big deal. No, no, well, no, see, right, that's what people hear, right? But let me tell you the real story behind it. So two million sounds great, which is, it's all true. But first of all, to get there, I was fear driven. First, fearful because I had no income coming in. So I would wake up at five in the morning and work till the next five in the morning because I was panicked to make money to support myself and my family. Then, uh, as it was growing, I became fearful of how I was going to pay payroll. So it was a panic stricken, uh, fest just to sell anything to anybody to keep this business going with the hope that one day it would get big enough that I could sell it to make a lot of money or a big client would come in or that big turning moment where I'd finally be profitable out of nowhere. Well, the moment that happened was I sold the company um, to private equity, which in retrospect, I was like, oh, that's how you make money. In retrospect, that doesn't happen to too many people. Uh, but my second company was then in computer crime investigation. That company too grew quickly um, to about seven million in, in annualized revenue when I sold it. It was only two and a half years old. It just exploded. 
ends up right time, right place. The Enron trial broke. We conducted the investigation in part for the Enron trial. Uh, Chrissy Brinkley was getting her like, you know, 12th divorce. We did one of her divorces. Um, some, the, there were some of these big murder cases where computer evidence was involved. We got those. Just, we were right at the cusp of when computer evidence was becoming relevant to all these major cases. I thought I was a genius. I was just smart enough to start a business that happened to be in its explosive growth mode and we caught it. And, uh, but the same thing was throughout that, it was so fearful. Stress of how am I going to pay payroll? I, I had payroll of $250,000 a month. And I remember saying, if I don't make a sale this month, like a big one, I got to refinance my house to pay payroll. And I don't have 250000 in my entire house. Like it was terrifying. It was acquired by a Fortune 500. Um, I then said, okay, now I'm convinced you actually don't make money when you run a company, you make money when you sell a company. So I decided to become an angel investor, start 10 companies simultaneously, all of them bomb, all of them. So I lose all my money, uh, go from a millionaire to a zero heir, actually a minus uh, 50000 or minus $100,000 with credit card debt heir, and uh, have to start anew. And that actually triggered this realization that I had no clue of how to manage money. I have no clue really how to run businesses. I thought I did uh, because I was measuring myself by the CV, but not the real elements below it. That triggered me becoming an author. Uh, that's why I've written my four books. And that's why I'm a full-time author now and just love supporting entrepreneurs. And quite frankly, myself and figuring out how to run a business properly and well and soulfully. I love that. And well, I, I, I love that you had a windy path. I, um, I obviously don't love the, that it was so up and down. Um, but I think that whatever, right. (laughs) I I know it makes me feel good about being a little small fry. (laughs) Like (laughs) I, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of like that. Would you rather love and have lost than to never have loved at all? I think I would rather never make a million dollars than to lose it overnight. You know what I mean? Am I I wrong here? (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. And I, I, I think too many of us though, compare ourselves based upon the top line, the size of a business, you know, it's the old, how big is it question, quite frankly. (laughs) Right. And like, why are we doing that? It really, the question is how healthy is it? And I today am far more impressed by a business that does 50,000 in annual revenue where the owner takes home everything or almost than a company that does a million or 10 million where the owner takes home 50,000. The, the top, there's a saying top, you know, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. The top line is really stress. Those are your stress points. And the more revenue you make, the more responsibility you have to keep feeding that beast. It's the profit that is the release from that. It is the, stress-free component. So I'm more impressed by the profitability than that top line. I agree. And I always feel like there has not been enough um, enough attention there. I mean, we are always wondering how big it is without actually wondering <laughs> what it can do. Um, and so, so I think that I think that bringing it back to bringing it back to that profitability piece is so important. And I was actually going to save this, I think, until a little later in the interview. But I I want to share like my first my first business was a tanning salon back in the day. Cool. And um I'll never forget getting my first profit and loss back and having a profit and my accountant telling me how bad that was. How Oh I, my god. Right? Really? Yes. And how I needed to spend more money and we hear this all over. So our people um our people are creatives. They run small businesses, lots of photographers and yogis and coaches and those sorts of people. And we hear it too, people getting to the end of the year needing to spend all of their money because they don't want to have that profit number because then they have to pay taxes on it, which I think is nuts. So I got my first profit and loss. My accountant tells me how bad it is that I have a profit. I'm so confused at what my life is about that I'm a business owner and profit is not the goal and ended up spending a couple of years um, rebelling against that mindset. It's like this, you know, rebellious young girl trying to run businesses and I will have a profit and kept having profit until we changed accountants, still a thing. And then I fell into the trap of, okay, profit's not a good thing. We shouldn't have it because everyone, te- everyone's telling me that, um, that you shouldn't have profit because then you have to pay taxes. Um, so I love that as I was reading your book, 
I was high-fiving you and amening you on all the pages because finally someone got the thing that I had always felt and was really confused about with this idea that profit is not a bad thing. It's actually supposed to be the goal. Emily, you are right. You are right. You are, <laughs> I want to kind of push around that accountant of yours. Not not hurt anybody, but just, right. But but I also also want to defend your accountant because that response is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, accountants' job they feel is to reduce our tax consequences, and it is true, but within certain confines. Really, what they're doing is make sure that we're compliant with tax law. We, we have a responsibility to pay the government and to make sure that we're appropriate compliant. That's their primary objective. And their secondary is to put us at this minimum uh, or reduce our tax hold so that we are compliant with tax law, but that there's a least consequence to us. But they miss one part. They miss one critical part that was called uh, – it's a behavioral component called loss aversion. So here, here's what loss aversion is. Loss aversion is a human behavioral response that when we possess something and it's taken away from us, we feel great pain as opposed to if it was never given to us in the first place. An example is like if if you own a car, say you acquire a car you always wanted, that red Porsche or whatever it is, and you get that car that you've always dreamed to have. Maybe you can barely afford it. So you're trying to make payments. You can't make payments. All of a sudden, you get the pink slip called in and the merch company says, we're going to repossess your car. Well, we will then go to extraordinary measures to retain that car because that's my baby. That's my red Porsche. <laughs> so what we do is I'm, I won't drive anymore. I'll drop the insurance. I'll keep it in the garage. At least I can see it sitting there. And maybe I'll, I'll get a second job working overnight so I can pay the bill. Now, here's the thing. We could have done all those things. We could have got that second job anytime we wanted to to acquire that car in the first place. We don't do it until we possess it and then we are fearful of the loss. Then we go through these almost illogical things. I'm going to stop paying insurance and not drive it so I can keep a car. That makes no sense because cars are meant to be driven. So when it comes to taxes, here's the thing. It depends what tax bracket you're in. It could be you know, 25, 35, 45%. But we literally are paying, say it's 30%. We're literally paying $3 to, oh, I'm sorry, we're paying out $10 to save $3. Meaning when our taxes are due, and the government says, we're going to take 30% of your income. We say, oh, let me spend 100% of what I have so I don't have to pay 3% of the 30%. It's a loss aversion. And what we do is we start incurring expenses and we start justifying, well, I needed that extra computer that's going to sit there and never be used. Oh, I need that n- new things. And we start spending money to prevent this, uh, this, this loss feeling. The, the thing is, profit is designed to celebrate. Profit is designed to reward you. And yes, there is going to be a consequence in taxes. We are going to have to pay some tax bill, but we want to actually increase our profitability because that translates to rewarding ourselves and also sustainability. We want to build a cash war chest. So many businesses are just trying to not be profitable that they have no money. They have no cash reserve. And the day something tough comes their way, they're out of business. So hell yeah, be profitable. Yeah, there is going to be tax consequences. But if you reserve money for your taxes in advance, it defeats that loss aversion and it isn't as painful as it seems. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's kind right? of good. Oh, hands are in the air. Hallelujah. Yes. I love that. And and I love spoken. the work that you do. <laughs> I love the work that you do with accountants to even like help change the mindset there so that it trickles down to the business owner as well. But talking about profit. So Profit First is your book. Um, I gave it a read. A lot of our people in our clubhouse and our community have read it as well. Everyone loves it, loves it, and sees it as like the basics for setting up like financials in your business, which I think is so needed, especially in our crowd. Um, and it's so great because it really is for not accountant literate entrepreneurs. Like a lot of times... <laughs> I'll, I have an admission to to make. I have the worst time keeping net and gross. I need to. I'm Fix. always like, like which is which? I know. I always have to Google it. And it's just, it's embarrassing. But so a lot of us are not very accountant literate. Like we don't, we don't know the speak basically. Right. right. Which and means you're a human is- being, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, but your book lays it out in a way that I found so easy and so helpful. I do love numbers a ton. So I totally got in and like was running all of our numbers and all of the things. Um, and 
I, I thought it just laid out a very basic framework for understanding how money in your business works, especially with this idea of pulling profit first. So if you can, and I'm sure you can wonderfully, um, can you share more about the profit first method and what makes it work so well for those of us who don't speak accountant? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you this system and the, the reason it does work is because the vast majority of us don't speak accounting accounting ease or account terms or whatever. Um, those are the, the people who decide to become accountants. I admire them. They are the Spocks of our planet. Very logical, <laughs> but they, they miss out on the human behavior. Now the entrepreneurs, we are the Captain Kirks of the, the world. We are very much an over actor. Uh, like Kirk, we can sell anything to anybody. You know, we are. Very, that was my worst, worst ever. No, that was fantastic. So I really amazing. most loved the hand motions. I yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I really sad this is a podcast. Yeah, I wish you could see the video. So we, but we are uh, emotional, and what that means is we're generally extraordinarily compelling. We can sell the crap out of our services because we believe it so much. We generally work extraordinarily hard because we're so passionate about it, this emotional fire we have. But we then sometimes aren't so good at the details. Uh, we aren't so good at the numbers. And so what we do is say, well, let's just put that off until some future point. And we go back to let's just sell and let's just grow and let's just serve people. And how we manage our numbers, therefore, is we don't go through all that accounting stuff that our accountant tells us to go through. Instead, we revert to what I call bank balance accounting. You know, we log into our bank account. See what my balance is, and based upon what I see there, I'll make a determination if I can do something or not. So what Profit First is a system that says that's, that realizes instead of trying to make people do what we don't naturally do, instead put guardrails, a system around what we already do, and make what we already do our ally. And the, the problem with traditional accounting is that's been around for hundreds of years, and accountants still are speaking until they're blue in the face saying, Read your income statement, tie it into your cash flow statement, read your balance sheet, know the difference between a you know gross gross income and net income. <laughs> and, and we're like, ah. And so what we do, we revert to banks, our bank balance. So here's what we do. It's the it's basically the envelope system. Uh I don't know, you know Amber Duggar, right? Do you know her? Wait, no. Sounds familiar. Oh wait, so who it, is that? One of Amber the Duggars? Duggars. Amber Duggar, she is an <laughs> she's one of the no. Duggars. She's not one of the Duggars. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> Amber Duggar is an expert in profit first and implementing it uh, with health coach businesses and stuff like that. And she gave me the best analogy. She said, Mike, it's the envelope system. And remember the envelope system? Like this is, I'm sure someone in your family has done this. My mother did this. You take money and you put it, you divide it up proactively. You get your check in for a hundred dollars of pay. You cash in and you put you know $10 in the food one. You put $20 in the mortgage and so forth. Amber's like, Mike, this is the envelope system at your bank. And what you do is you set multiple bank accounts. So what you do is instead of having one primary checking account at your bank, starting today, we have multiple accounts. One is for profit. One is for owner's pay. And listen, there's no one more important at your business than the owner themselves. No one works okay, as hard as Okay, can I you. pause you for one second here between profit and yeah. owner's pay? Because I think that a lot of our creatives that aren't making a bajillion dollars, like let's say we're just making around 50000 I think that's yeah. probably even the median of what our listeners are making. I think a lot of them think that profit and owner's pay are the same thing. So could you differentiate or explain a what the difference absolutely, is? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and many people get confused over that. Profit is a reward for the equity owners of a business. Meaning if you own a percentage of your business, maybe you have a partner, maybe you're solo, whatever equity you have, profit is a distribution for the equity you own. And what, what equity means is you was, you're the person who had courage to start this business in the first place. You, If you own public stock, here's a simple analogy. I own some stock in Ford. I'm an equity owner in Ford stock. And on a regular basis, they do a profit distribution, meaning they have excess money that they send out to the equity owners. And when I get that check, like literally it was like 15 bucks uh, last check. High five. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> when I got my 15 bucks, here's what happens. I didn't look at that money and say, oh, you know, I really should give this back to Ford. They really deserve it. Um, you know, the management team could reinvest this or plow this back and do better with it. I said, that money's for me. I'm going to Starbucks and going to go crazy with this. <laughs> So a profit distribution 
is a reward to the equity owners for starting the business, a, a true reward for you to do something with. The owner's compensation is your pay for working inside the business. This is what you live your lifestyle off of. So many of us are what's called owner operators. We own the business, but we also operate and run the business. Maybe we're the only employee. The owner's pay account is money that comes to you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis that you use and you live your life off of it. Additionally, profit will accumulate. That is a distribution of money. Well, I suggest we do it quarterly, so every 90 days. That comes out as a bonus for not for running the business, but as a bonus for owning the business in the first place. And then you spend that money to celebrate. That's your reward. You know, go to Starbucks on that one. So that's those two accounts. Uh, the other account, taxes. You know, when taxes are due, we started our business in part for financial freedom. The business is starting today. You're going to start paying that tax responsibility on our behalf. It prevents loss aversion, what we already talked about, when the business is paying for that. And then one of the accounts is operating expenses. That's what we run our business off of. Um, the other account I didn't mention, by the way, is the income account. That's where the money flows in. It just sits there. Then the money gets allocated like Amber Duggar has taught me. Uh, it's an envelope system. It gets allocated out to these different accounts. Then we run our business accordingly. It, it, as an example, say $1,000 comes into our income account. It used to be, oh, I have $1,000. You know, I log in my bank account. I have $1,000 for my business. The answer to the truth is no, you don't. You've allocated based on percentages money out into these different envelopes. Maybe 50%, maybe 20% is going to operating expenses. So you don't have $1,000 to run your business. You have 20% to run your business, which is $200. And the other percentages, maybe 10% went to profit. You have $100 there. Maybe 30 or 40% went to owner's pay. Maybe $400 there. Maybe some money went to taxes. And it becomes a very easy way to immediately know what money is available for what purpose in your business. So it's it's about being like ultimately proactive with your money. It's yes. not getting money and going, oh, now that I have money, what should I do with it? It's about getting money and knowing exactly where it's going to go and making sure it's going into the right places before you even have a chance to make a bad decision. Hallelujah. Also, it's so interesting how we just accept that we have to pay our taxes, right? Like it sucks. I mean, well, that depends on whatever. I won't get into that. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a thing that most people don't enjoy doing. No. Um, and we just accept that we have to pay our bills. Like we, we just accept that we have to pay these certain things. So why can't creative entrepreneurs just accept that they have to pay themselves a salary? Like they have to compensate themselves for doing the job that they're doing. You have to. It, so this is another. So all this stuff are be, around behavioral principles. And there's a thing called a reward mechanism. Um, and what happens is when we start celebrating and rewarding ourselves, we become it's an, a form of an affirmation. We become more confident in what we do. And when we don't, the reverse happens. For example, if I start my business this year and I make no money, I'm like, ah, I guess it wasn't this year, but it's my first year. Maybe next year. Next year, I don't make money. I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. But next year, I'll correct it. By the third year, I don't make money. I'm like, what the F is going on? And I start resenting my business. Most business owners that I've met, over time, if they're not paying themselves, it's only a matter of time before they start to resent their business. But when we start rewarding ourselves and start caring for ourselves, now we can we say, wow, the business is paying me back. We can truly embrace what we're doing. So you got to pay yourself. For God's sake, you got to pay yourself. And I think even if it's the tiniest amount of money, so let's say you really are getting $1,000 a month and mm -hmm. 10% is going to profit, how much do you think should go toward owner's compensation like is there a breakdown of how much there is okay there is so i ran an analysis and it, it is available for free download um so you don't have to, it's in the book but you can also get it for free on my site awesome we'll include that in the show notes perfect perfect so i analyze these businesses of all different sizes and i found that the uh, small businesses actually have very thin operating expenses because generally a small business is just one proprietor. It's the owner themselves doing everything. And therefore, there isn't much expense. I don't have to pay payroll to employees. I don't necessarily even need office space. I could work out of my house or something. So in a company that's super small, generally 10 to 15% is going to profit. They're paying themselves upwards of 50 to 60% of the income to to themselves, owners pay. So let's say 50%, 10% to profit, just for round numbers, and they're reserving about 15% for taxes. So all combined, that's 75%, 25% to run the business. And I found 
that's a business in kind of a growth mentality. Some businesses pay themselves even more to the owner. Maybe 80% is going to the owner or 70% to the owner. So that's the rough percentages. I, I think this is so important because, well, one, we talk a lot about knowing your numbers and how important it is. We actually did, a, I guess it was a Clubhouse Masterclass recently on budgeting where we were asking people how often they look at their numbers, um, and how familiar they are with it. We had some people in the Clubhouse who I was actually pretty proud of. They looked at their numbers and were more familiar with them than than people that I had experienced in the um, in the past. It makes me wonder if that's just Clubhouse people and they're just that boss. They're um, on it. <laughs> right? They are on it. Um, but it's so important to know your numbers and know how much of your money is going out. And whenever you're talking about, you know, your story with, um, with, you know, your first business making, was it 2 million a year? Like if your expenses are 1.9 million, then, then there's not, or like your operating expenses are that much, then it's not a hugely healthy business. And so whenever you can, whenever you can look at your numbers and, and be able to tell if you're healthy or not. I mean, that's, that's just being an entrepreneur. So if you're not looking at your numbers, look at your numbers and know what's going down. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, there's another behavioral principle that really speaks to the power of knowing your numbers. It's called Parkinson's law. Have, have either of you heard of this? No. Yes. Only because oh, yeah, I read your book, but yes. Okay. So <laughs> let, let me explain Parkinson's law because, because I'll tell you, Emily, when some people hear this, you know, I make 50000 a year. Uh, I'm barely scraping by now. And now this this yucko guy is saying, take a percentage for profit first. Like, I, I can barely get by now. This is going to collapse my business. He, he's This guy's stupid. Well, I, I'm a little bit stupid. But, but <laughs> <laughs> I got to admit that one. But Parkinson's law is the behavioral principle of how we work around money. And if you understand this, you'll understand the opportunities that exist in your business. So here's what Parkinson's law is. Parkinson was a theorist from the 1950s, discovers that as supply, the availability of something increases, it's natural human tendency to increase our demand for that thing. For example, if I put a food, a, a plate of cookies on a table and there's two cookies on it, I'll probably eat two cookies. If, if you put a plate on the table with 15 cookies on it, I'll eat more than two. I might make it into five or six or more. <laughs> and so the, the greater the supply, the greater the consumption. Um, but my favorite example is around toothpaste, and this translates to money, believe it or not. Tonight, when when we go to brush our teeth, I, there's going to be one of two circumstances for all of us. You go to your, the cupboard or the bathroom or whatever, you pull out your toothbrush, you pull out that tube of toothpaste, it's either going to be a brand new tube of toothpaste or an empty one. And when it's a brand new tube, you know, you put that long bead on there. I'm doing my Captain Kurt, if people could see me. Uh, <laughs> you put that long bead on there and you start brushing like your commercial teeth. style. Like the, how yeah, it looks like exactly. a commercial. With that perfect curly yes. cue at the end. Reminds me of that. What was that brand? Uh, With like the green in it? Like the green gel? Aquafresh. That's what yes, yeah, Aquafresh. Aquafresh. <laughs> that perfect ding at the end. Right? And we use this long bead. But more, you know, more often than not, it seems that tube is almost empty. And now it becomes like a whole different endeavor. We twist, we turn, we bend, we bite the edge of it, at a, edge of it. <laughs> There's that, that turtle moment that when, when you, you, you had to push with such force to get that toothpaste out. You put the toothbrush in your teeth to clamp it closed and you push with both of them. And that little turtle head of Aquafresh peeks out and you try to get your toothbrush and just then it shoots back in. Like, <laughs> it's so frustrating. And at the end of the day, we'll get like one little droplet of toothpaste on our toothbrush and start brushing. And the lesson is this. When there is a full tube of toothpaste, we use that long Colgate bead. When there is nothing left, we use less, but, but more importantly, we become highly innovative in how we extract the toothpaste. Twist, turn, double thumb, cut the end off. We do these remarkable things. Money is the same way. When we have money come into our business, regardless of it's $1,000 or $500, whatever the number is, when it comes into that income account, it's a full tube of toothpaste. That's all the money. So our subconscious response is squeeze out the toothpaste. Wait, I need to buy this. I need to pay for that. And we use up the money. But if we intentionally divide that money up first, we allocate these different envelopes and we work with the operating expense account only, now we intentionally are serving up a empty tube of toothpaste, which means we'll be more frugal, of course. But the exciting part is we become more innovative, that twisting and turning and bending. We will find new ways, innovative ways to get the same results with less money. 
Yes, I love this so much because I think that there is something to working with what you've got that makes creative entrepreneurs, well, creative, right? Yeah. I want to tap your brain a little bit about growing versus staying lean and how we stretch and kind of use our own resources and DIY more things versus investing and getting help that can help us grow faster or bigger than we could ever imagine. And this is kind of, I've just been playing around a lot with the idea that you have to spend money to make money. And on one hand, I think it's very true. And on the other hand, I think it's a load of bullshit. And I I think both things are maybe true. But I'm just curious to hear because it sounds like you've had experiences with spending a lot of money to make a lot of money, but you've also run some lean businesses as well. And what's kind of your mindset now from the lessons learned? I love that you dropped the BS bomb. Um, that was beautiful. I kind of got a little, I kind of got a little bit emotional because I agree a hundred percent, Kathleen, that when we spend money, if we, if we believe we need to spend money to grow, we're fundamentally flawed. It becomes this perpetual trap that so many businesses fall in. They think they need to spend money to grow. And since they spent money, they need to make more money. So they seek ways to make more money. As a little more money comes in sales, they say we need to spend it to continue our growth. And it becomes literally grow to cover expenses mentality. And that's what I've experienced for myself. And yeah, I grew, but it's never profitable, which means you have more of an albatross around your neck. It's a bigger business that now you really better feed this beast or you are in deep, deep garbage. So instead, I found that they aren't polar opposites. In fact, if you drive profit, it actually has sparked tremendous growth. And as I rewrote the book and released the new edition, I interviewed companies that focused on profit. They were growth-oriented before, meaning spend-oriented. They focused on profit, and they actually grew faster. So that kind of was confounding. How can you grow faster if you focus only on profit? Here's what I found. When you focus on profit, you actually have to reverse engineer that profitability. You're putting the X in the map saying, I'm taking 10% of every deposit now and it's going toward profit. Now that means I have 10% less flowing in my business. So to support that profit, I need to figure out what are the services or products that I'm selling that are actually profitable. It ends up most businesses have a mix of stuff and some's more profitable and some is less or not even profitable. So now you have to focus on fewer products and services, the real good ones, the ones you're really good at doing efficiently so you can be profitable. Well, if you focus on fewer products and services, that means you can serve a, you have to serve a smaller variety of client needs. It's fewer products and services, fewer needs. Well, if you're serving clients with fewer needs, that means you have to focus in a tighter set of customers. Kind of like, A general practitioner doctor can work on anyone at the surface level, but a heart surgeon can only work on people that are having heart problems, not brain problems. So you have to focus on a more narrow set. That, by the way, is called niche specialization. Now, when you offer few products and services, uh, but you you have to become extraordinarily good at them because you're serving a a smaller client base, you're now doing fewer things for fewer people and you do extraordinarily well, that's the definition of niche specialization. You become extraordinarily talented at few things for a community of people. They talk about you, it spins up, they're the only ones that want you because you're the world's best at it now and that spawns massive growth. So it's, it's fascinating that if you want, if you truly want to grow quickly and healthily, if you take your profit first, it actually forces that process to happen. Okay, can we walk this through like a scenario? Yeah, oh, let's yeah. say some of our listeners are coaches and they can make Love a it. really good profit with a one-on-one coaching service. Like they know that right now they can make $6,000 in a 6-month long coaching engagement. Okay. However, the business they want to build is one that scales and grows where they could maybe do group coaching and be servicing 25 people at once for $6,000 a piece, right? So there is this idea of like What's profitable now versus the business that you're wanting to grow? And what if the business you're wanting to grow is at odds with what makes you money right now? Well, so that means you're, if you think it's at odds, you're probably looking down a traditional mindset saying, well, for me to scale it, that means I need to have 10 more people doing what I'm doing. And so what I want to do is say, well, to be super profitable at it, what are the way we can do it that's innovative and new? Now, there's things out there like you could do group coaching over Zoom or video. So it's still just you. You just have a new technology that allows you to disseminate it in a new way. 
you could, uh, you know, of course, do video education and stuff like that. You could make what you do into a product. A lot of people do that. So now it doesn't take any of your time besides the original development and deployment, but now you have a product. But it's hard to sell a generic coaching product because there's so there's so many coaches out there. Quote, unquote, <laughs> right. everyone's a coach. So because you want to be profitable, you have to focus on a specific coaching technique or process for a specific community, and then you become good at it. Now, here's an example. Uh, there's a woman named Cindy Thomason. I suspect you've never heard of her unless you're an Amazon seller. She's a coach for Amazon sellers, and she specifically coaches Amazon sellers how to be profitable. So she coaches one thing to one community, and trust me, she has way more than $6,000 a month per client that she charges because she's a specialist. But she started off as a generalist. She did coaching for anyone that wanted to improve their profitability and grow their organization. And she'd be lucky to get $6,000 every couple of years from a client by doing that. So again, if you're a coach, I've seen coaches do this, narrow down what you're offering for a very specific community and serve that one specific community in a unique way better than anybody else. That's where the premiums are. That's where the profit is. Amen. <laughs> I love the amen. Right? Um, yeah. So I'm guessing to to sort of take this to our product people, the same process works for product makers as well, correct? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you literally, you could make coffee mugs, you know, the most quote-unquote generic thing in the world, and you could make massive profits out of it if you're speaking again to a community. What if, you know, what if you're speaking, you serve people with super dainty hands, like tiny hands, like these big mugs <laughs> with these massive grips, like there is a community that can't grab those mugs. But what about the community that have those massive hands, like these awkwardly large, disgusting hands? They need mugs too. <laughs> I don't know why I threw disgusting and that was unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, that was totally unnecessary. Let's stay body positive here. <laughs> yeah. They have these massive, massive ogre hands. Like a beautiful, beautiful ogre, ogre hands. hands. Beautiful <laughs> ogre hands. Like there's a community out there. You can make a mug specific to them and they will pay a premium. So we, we got to have this general mindset of, oh, I have a product that can serve everybody because that's actually the poor man's approach. We have to think I can create a product that serves a very specific community so well that they're willing to depart with significant amounts of money because it caters to them so well. That's where the profit is. I love that. And I guess that's also where you get the most satisfaction from your customers as well when you are solving their problems so specifically and gloriously that, of course, they'll pay well for it. Now I'm going to amen you. Amen. <laughs> I kind of have an off-topic question. We're in the oh middle boy. of writing our book. Oh, this is crazy. Yeah, cool. I know. It's okay, a cool. little off-topic. So, And you mentioned um, in your most recent version of Profit First, was that painful, like having to go back and revise and add to... Like, can you tell writing, us a little bit about that? I know that's completely off topic, but it sparked my curiosity. Well, I love that you're writing a book. I love. I think authors are the coolest people on the planet, honestly. Uh, hey, because, yo. Right. Yo, yo. Because I think <laughs> what I love about authors is we are creating something that will transcend time, uh, something that's permanently out there. And I think we can have the greatest impact. I mean, literally, you can pick up a copy of my book, probably for like a penny, like a used copy. You can probably pick up for a penny on Amazon. And you can get literally my life's effort and knowledge in there. It, it's cheaper than going to a present. You, know, you go see me speak at a, an event. You got to be scribbling and taking notes. I already wrote the notes for you. It's in my book. Okay. So, so I love authors. Um, for me, the process of writing a book is a – I'm not a naturally efficient writer. So writing Profit First – the first time it took me four years to compile and write. Uh, the second go around, I rewrote the book. I, I was efficient this time. It took me about 14 months. Um, and that, that was an efficient one. So when it comes to writing a book, uh, it's not, it's, for me, it's not an easy process. But, but I do know the one key secret as an author, uh, and I hope you do this. I'm sure you are. Put every ounce of your knowledge and soul into your book. The, the books that I found are successful the author clearly gave it all away. Everything's in there. You don't need to hire my company to do profit first. You don't need to call Amber Duggar, who I talked about. You don't, you don't need to. It'd be nice because they can move it forward further, but everything's in there. The books that fail are, um, books where people say, well, you know, if you want, here's step one and two. If you want three and four, you better pick up the phone and call me. That those are the books that are just bummers. 
I mean, I think that's how we found the success that we have with our podcast, which has been amazing. But that's always been our philosophy in our business yeah. is to give it all away for free, yeah. even from blogging. And it's funny because going from blogging to writing a book, we used to give it all away for free on the blog. And now I'm like, we can't burn our content on the blog. We have to save something for the book. So um, I just love that. I got a little that, secret for you about giving it away. All, yeah, tell us. Yeah. And I'm sorry to step on you there. But no, no, no. Just, the okay. best conversations happen whenever everyone's interrupting each other. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got something. I got something new. So here, here, I think the best what, drunk conversations happen that way. Oh, my God. If we were boozing right now, that would be so We should awesome. have all been drinking. I totally. I did a podcast yesterday, and we were drinking on the podcast. And it was, with, well, it's a long story, but it was funny. So here's what I found with the give it all away mentality. Many people, sadly, are fearful of it. And, and I guess rightfully so. If I give it all away, some people will take that knowledge and just run with it and never need me. And here's the truth. That's right. They will. They're called the do-it-yourselfers. I found there's two types of consumers out there. The do-it-yourselfers and the I need someone else to do it for me-selfers or whatever you want to call them. The do-it-yourselfers are seeking the best knowledge and they will go to the free source who gives it all away. But here's the power of the do-it-yourselfers. They will take that knowledge. They will absolutely do it themselves and they'll run into people that need help and that person will say, how did you do it? And they'll say, oh, I found it in this book. They will point back to the source. Do-it-yourselfers are extraordinary marketers for a business. The other people, the people that need help, they'll read the book and what they're looking to do is actually qualify us. They don't even feel that or say that, but as they're reading through it, they're like, yes, oh, I get it. This work, Yes, they're agreeing with it. And if we put it all in there, they're saying this person is the compendium of knowledge. They have it all there. This is the person I want to hire. So when you give it all away, the do-it-yourselfers become your marketers and the people that need you see you as qualified. Yeah, so you're creating brand advocates and you're creating royal yeah. customers. That's love better it. terminology. I like your terminology better. That was cool. <laughs> and I also love how that's coming from the guy who wrote Profit First. <laughs> and this <laughs> idea that like monetizing and getting as much profit, and not quite in those words, I think you know what I mean, is I definitely what we're working for. But it all comes from being as generous as possible yes. as you can with what you know. Yeah. So when people see my title, they're like, who is this tool? I mean, this guy, was he all about money? You know, that New York accent comes in, what you, what you, all you want is money? Is that all you care about? And that's my New York accent. <laughs> Love it. That was pretty bad. But um, It the, also had its own hand gestures as Oh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the face twist, right? The face twist, you, you all about money? Um, but the truth is, truly, I believe I'm all about, I, my, my life's responsibility is all about contribution and giving. And... I realize the only way to maximally contribute is to be sustainable. So profit translates to sustainability. Sustainability translates to perpetually giving and contributing. I, I believe we are all here for a calling. And you can, you can believe it's God-given or self-given. I'm cool with however you define it. Um, but I believe we're here for a purpose. And the only way we can live our purpose to the max is by addressing the profit first. That's what Profit First is. We have to address it first so we can do what we're called to do. It's it's unfortunate some people just see me as the money grubber guy. That's not true. Aww. Right. Okay, was, I, was, I wanna, I did, was I getting a little I, defensive there? I know. No, I want to know. I want to pivot back to the book a little bit um, and to the bank accounts and really getting on top of managing your money. This is more of like a tactical, logistical question. Is it complicated to open that many bank accounts or is this day and age, is it easy to kind of umbrella it under a bank account? Do you have any tips or advice there? Yeah. So that that is a common resistance I get. Like, oh my God, if I have to open one more damn account. I know. I told this or I told my money guy who's, who's he will be reading the, the book next. I told mm-hmm. our money guy, I was like, look, we're doing this. Read this book. And he's like, yeah. God, you read another book. <laughs> like, I know. Trust me. I was like, we have to do it, and it starts with bank accounts. And he's like, wait, what? Because banks. But continue. Yeah, so here's the resistance I get with bank accounts. Oh, the bank will charge me more fees. I, I can't afford the fees. Secondly, the administrative nightmare. I got all these accounts going on. I just want my one account. Here's the the irony. First of all, multiple accounts when it comes to the administrative component is easier than one account. One account, if you've ever done a reconciliation, you gotta go through and say, what was this for? What was this purpose for? Now, when you look at the your different accounts and you go into the profit account, every time money moves, 
it's profit related. When you look at the tax count, every time there's a movement of money, it's tax related. It's actually pre-categorized for you, so it's way easier to manage. When it comes to the bank fees, some banks are a pain in the arse. No question about it. Some will say, well, if you open more accounts, we're going to charge you a fee. Here's what you do. Find a different bank. Or if you really love that bank, go to the bank manager and say, listen, I actually want to save more money at your bank and you want to increase my fees. That ain't going to work for me. Let's get rid of those fees. And you'll find banks negotiate. So find a new bank or just talk to the bank manager and you'll be pleasantly surprised that there won't be bank fees by having multiple banks accounts. And uh, But definitely do it. The the gains so far outweigh the perceived costs. It's unbelievable. You don't don't let those little potential roadblocks stop you. Love it. So what is what is the number one thing that people can start doing right now if they want to start better managing their money, other than picking up your book and reading it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, now I'm lost the words. Everyone, like, everyone, pick up the book and read it. It's changed <laughs> our life. It's changed right. our money game over here. So here, here's the simple step, um, and this doesn't even require the book. Many people, when they hear the system, and there's there's these five accounts we alluded to earlier. There's these different steps and stuff. That's the full behavioral system. It, it is putting you in this channel for profitability perpetually. But I also find that if you go into it full steam from day one, it is a lot to take on. It's over. It's it can be overwhelming, and, and people then fail and then give up. It's like saying, you know, you want to start running uh, for a life. Why don't you run twenty six miles a day now? Why don't you run a marathon a day uh, when you're just starting to run? No, the best thing is to actually start walking around the block. That's how we should get started. So with profit first, I suggest, and there's no excuse not to do this. Literally today, as you're listening to this podcast. Set up one account. Go to your existing bank, call them, and just have one checking account. I mean, it's only one account. Rename that checking account from checking to the word profit. Then allocate 1% of every deposit to profit. And that means if if 100 bucks comes in today, I'm saying take a dollar. Out of that 100, put it into your profit account, and now run your business off 99 bucks. Because if you can run off 100, you can run off 99. If a thousand bucks come in, I'm saying take 10 bucks, put in the profit account. Because you, if you can run off a thousand, you can run off nine hundred ninety. The thing is, you won't get rich overnight this way. I get it, but you will be rich in confidence, realizing that when you pre-allocate money toward profit, that that profit will stick, and you'll find a way to run your business that more efficiently. Once you start gaining that confidence in yourself that you can work this system, then change it from one percent to two percent allocations, then maybe five percent the profit over time. And once you win over your confidence fully, then go this go with the system full bore. I love that so much because I've always been kind of the anti-Susie Orman latte factor. I'm like, if I want a latte, I will just hustle out five extra bucks a day or whatever it is. I'm a creative entrepreneur. I can make that money. But what you're saying here and where it's finally clicked for me is that it's not about the dollar. It's not even about the hundred dollars. It's about the behavior that is driving that. And that behavior can translate to so many other areas of our business and how we run our business. Yeah, and and I would even argue that's that's absolutely true. And I add one more thing: you deserve that latte. Like that's actually what's called celebration. And I think a lot of uh, principles are told about sacrifice. Like if you're willing to live for the next ten years like a pauper on a cardboard box, you'll be a billionaire. True. But who wants to live like a pauper for 10 years in a box? And what if on the ninth year, one day before the 10th year, I die? Well, that was a effing sucky 10 years for nothing. So I actually believe we need to balance reward with smart savings. And here's how we do it. When we allocate that 1% or 2% to profit, we don't sacrifice that latte. We sacrifice the things we don't need. With that membership for that software we never use, you realize, oh, I shouldn't have that. And you turn it off. You start finding these elements in your business that you weren't using or weren't leveraging much. You turn those off. But the more exciting thing is because we're business owners, you find ways to generate a greater premium. How do I charge more to my clients fairly and appropriately to make more profit? That's where the real juice is. And you have to continue to reward yourself because if you sacrifice yourself and you deny yourself that latte, you deny those things you like, then we just start resenting our business and say, why am I even doing this? It's constant sacrifice. So balance that reward with the appropriate cuts and explode in innovation. Agreed. And one of the things I loved most about reading through your book and, um, well, not and, period, is um, 
that I've done most of this stuff naturally for a decade. And so I feel like on some level, like if you have an entrepreneur brain, this stuff makes sense to you. You just need someone to tell it to you. Um, a couple of years ago, whenever I had just started running my business, my my web design business, which was after the tanning salon, windy path as well, um, <laughs> I was saving 10% of every deposit that came in and like was religious about it um, and ended up paying for a trip to Europe whenever I was, you know, just two years into solo income, new business, was able to was able to very easily do something really awesome for myself. And that's a practice I actually haven't kept up with just quite as much as I was then. Um, but that was something that I was naturally doing as someone who was in a business not only to pay expenses, but to make money for myself. And I think that I think that bringing it back to profit um, and thinking about how you can run really lean businesses is exactly what's going to get all of us to where we want to go and beyond this sort of feast and famine, struggling, starving artist mentality that so many or not even mentality, but reality that so many of us have. It comes from managing your money really wisely. Yeah, it doesn't have to be hard. What I loved is you said you're already doing most of this. And I would argue the profit first, it, it is nothing new. This is the envelope system. This is the pay yourself first principle. These are all established principles that we've done in little bits and pieces in our personal lives. I'm just saying let's translate that to our business life, especially because our businesses and personal lives are so ingrained as creative entrepreneurs. And you will start to see an impact. There's no question. Well, we are so excited to implement the Profit First Method in our business in a very structured way using your book as guidance. So thank you so much for writing it. Where can our listeners learn more and find you? Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, If you want to learn more about the book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your little bookstore, just ask for Profit First. If you want to kind of go to the mecca of all things that I got, it's my website. Now, it's MikeMichalowitz.com. It is a doozy of a last name. I still I still struggle with it, quite frankly. So there's a couple of shortcuts. Uh, if you go to Google and type in Mike Mick, Mike space Mick, the longest, most Polish name on the planet appears. That's me. Um, the second thing is if you go to MikeMotorbike.com. That was my nickname in high school. It forwards you on to my site. And uh, <laughs> what you what you will find there on my site is I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, so you'll find uh, downloads of my articles, uh, samples for chapters from all my books, and yeah, I blog and podcast too. It's all there. Awesome! Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. And we'll also make sure that all of those links, Mike Motorbike <laughs> and otherwise, are on our show notes at beingboss.club. This episode of Being Boss was brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring us. And you guys can try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. If you're a creative entrepreneur, freelancer, or a small business owner who is ready to take your goals to the next level, check out the Being Boss Clubhouse, a two-day online retreat followed by a year of community support, monthly masterclasses, book club, secret episodes, and optional in-person retreats. Find more at www.beingboss.club slash clubhouse. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brain. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.